The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. There are 900 vacant consultant posts in Ireland. Why do they not want to work here? If conditions were better, would those posts be filled? And is chronic fatigue, gross fatigue on the front line, responsible for part of the reluctance to work here? Well, joining me now is Chris Luke, columnist of the Irish Medical Times, author and uh, consultant in emergency medicine, uh, mostly retired. Uh, Chris, good morning. Good morning, Pat. I don't think what you're doing is retirement, as people would know. You're, you're very busy. Now, let's talk about uh, fatigue on the front line. How prevalent is it and how dangerous is it? Well, I, I think it's routine. Uh, I think it is almost universal amongst those who are working in what you might call standard uh, jobs. I mean, obviously, there are going to be people who, have, who are outliers, who have part-time positions and so forth. But for, for the bulk of people who are working either in general practice or in hospital, uh, acute hospital care, uh, I, I think most of them will be most, you know, will be excessively fatigued most of the time. And there was an article I, you, you may have seen last week which suggested that uh, for those doctors who are working 60 hours a week or more, uh, 50% of them are associated with fatal adverse drug events in some way, whereas those who are working 40 hours or less uh, only 10% of those are, are, are associated or, or experience adverse uh, significant medical health care effects. And I think that, of course, is the ultimate metric that, that we have to worry about. So uh, it's kind of logical, no matter what kind of a job you're doing, that requires concentration and judgment, whether you're um, a, you know, a bus driver or a, a surgeon or an emergency medicine consultant. If you're tired, your judgment is impaired. Absolutely. I mean, it is absolutely straightforward. And it, it's, it's, it's one of the, the it's like the, the third mystery of Fatima, how over the 40 years that I've been in, in, engaged in medicine, how that issue of doctors routinely working 70, 80, 90 hours a week continues. Because we have been comparing and contrasting healthcare with aviation uh, and aviation safety issues for, you know, at least 25 to 30 years. Uh, and yet we just can't seem to get that very basic issue uh, right, the idea of, of doctors and, of course, nurses working far too hard, far too long. And, and the thing which has changed most of all, in addition to the long hours path, is that um, you know, medicine is so much more intense and so much more complex now than it was when I was a young man uh, in medicine in the early 80s. And you know, we, we worked 80, 90, 100 hours plus then routinely, but we didn't have the sustained perennial uh, volume and permacrowding uh, that, that exists now. I mean, we did, there was a cyclical, uh, there was a diurnal variation in the numbers you were working with. Emergency departments and outpatient clinics and so on tended to be quiet in the morning and then they grew busier and busier and then that waxed and waned and you know, by midnight you were again, you were very quiet. That's not the case any longer. There's no such thing as a winter crisis any longer. There's a permacrisis where every single day uh, most emergency departments, most outpatient things, most general practices are now running at about 110, 120%. Uh, and of course, when there's no uh, leeway, uh, there's no, no give whatsoever, you know, a, a mistakes are going to happen uh, and people are going to get very burnt out. Now, it was interesting uh, over the weekend when uh, Stephen Donnelly was pressed by the uh, IMO, I think it was, saying, look, we are put the, to the pin of our collars on the idea of extending uh, the free GP visits to another cohort of children. It, it'll push us over the edge. And his response was, well, my officials have worked it out that this would be 
about three extra visits per week uh, for uh, a GP practice. Um, I don't know who does the sums in that department, but that's what the minister said. Well, you know, Pat, I spent three years uh, until the end of last year working quite closely with the board of the HSC, um, and I, I had a chance to observe what goes on at the highest level. And, and I went from having a worm's eye view uh, over a career of 38 years to having a bird's eye view. Uh, and, you know, while there's much going on, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that the, the powers that be really understand the stress and the pressure that uh, frontline and all healthcare professionals are, are now uh, facing. And, you know, I mean, there's a very old uh, black joke which says the floggings will continue until morale improves <laughs> School of management. And I, I'm sorry, Pat, but I still think that that is really the, 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 mes- the, the, the message here. And I, I wasn't in Killarney. I didn't hear what the, the minister said, but I, I went. I winced when I when I read what he was, uh, you know, said uh, said about not believing the doctors and that they were exaggerating. But the thing is this, Pat, you know, some years ago, ex- uh, free care was extended to children, as you as you well remember, uh, and uh, when that happened, that there was an, an extraordinary surge in the numbers of, of youngsters being brought to GP surgeries, and then an extraordinary surge which went on from there to ED re- emergency departments and in terms of referrals. But there wasn't any great increase in the number of children being admitted to hospital. So in other words, there wasn't any sense that it made a difference in the long term to the necessary care of youngsters. Children were being, you know, children were being brought to the emergency departments, perhaps with more minor illnesses. But, but not with more serious yes. So hang on, that would suggest that GPs were uh, getting rid of them by referring them to A&E rather than kind of organise something locally or maybe they don't have the resources to organise something local in, in their practices. Well, I, I think actually it's a bit more nuanced than that. If I might defend my colleagues all around, I mean, these, are, these arguments tend to be very nuanced. The, the reality is this, as you know from, uh, from horror stories of strep A, uh, and uh, sepsis and meningitis. You know, illness in children can be can be can be very dramatic one minute, and then can can disappear by the time they get to the GP's waiting room. So inevitably, if let's say ten more children come to a, a big GP surgery uh, of a morning, at least one or two of those will be you know will, they're not black and white, and inevitably there's a because of mm. of the climate of litigation and the climate of caution, and we're being urged to be more cautious and on, on the lookout and vigilant for these things. Inevitably. Uh, some cases, uh, more cases will be sent from the numbers that are, are, are attending at your department, your, your mm. surgery. Now, it's not always about money. You know, there are people who suspect the IMO are, are moaning because if the kids who normally have their parents pay for their visit are now going to be done free, they will lose income. i got to park that for the moment because it could be a cynical view. It could be you know, partly true. But let's talk about the things other than money that, I mean, you've sent me a list of things which are, are quite frankly shocking, the deficits in the care of doctors and nurses who are working all the hours of the day and night. I mean, hot food not available to them. Yeah, I mean, Pat, I was the director of postgraduate education in, in Liverpool and Cork for, for 10 years, meaning that in addition to my emergency medicine uh, role, I was responsible for the pastoral care of new graduates, final med students, interns, and so on, and then beyond that, generic training. Uh, so, I mean, I have a long interest in uh, establishing in pastoral care. And my, my daughter is a 31-year-old trainee in medicine, you know. So, again, I'm, I, I, have my, I have my finger on the pulse to some extent. 
And uh, constant uh, tales of, you know, uh, unmade beds, dirty bed linen in in doctors' residences, no hot food at night at all, even though some doctors and nurses are working all around the clock, you know, at at weekends, you know, dirty, untidy staff rooms, no staff rooms, no coffee, uh, no, no bicycle locking facilities having to chase uh, great amounts of money for ID cards, uh, car parking. Uh, and then, of course, the thing which is most infuriating is that whenever, when young doctors particularly chop and change as they do, and they must from hospital to hospital, there's no unified uh, system in, in the country to pay them uh, seamlessly. So they have to keep going back onto emergency tax. So, so every six months, they have to then contact the revenue. They go on emergency tax, they're taxed to the hilt. Um, and then when they get into the new hospital situation, the HR department in that hospital has got to help sort them out and they have to deal with revenue. And that happens every six months. Absolutely, that's precisely right. And that, uh, uh, Pat, that, that was the situation when I was an intern in Wexford and Vincent in 1982. So, I mean, it's, they've had this for 40 years. Uh, and in, in addition to that, then you have HR desperately ringing around on a Thursday, Friday evening saying, you know, we're stuck for the weekend. Can you come and work? Please, 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 please. The, the, the trainees say, oh, OK, I will. I, I wanted to do it, but anyway, I will. Uh, and then they they, 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 they submit their, their invoice for that for that extra 8, 10, 20, whatever number of hours they've worked. Uh, and then there's prevarication and there's saying, oh, no, that doesn't qualify for overtime and that sort of thing as well. So, you know, right around the, uh, across the board, there are, there are difficulties with the way uh, mm-hmm. doctors, particularly doctors in training, uh, are treated. And it's that overall culture of, Frankly, disrespect and ill-treatment. A couple of things. A couple of things. Doctors and nurses are often sleeping in dirty, unmade beds during shift. These are the doctors who'd be on call, for for instance. And I know, uh, talking to Cathy, my wife, when she was on call in Hollow Street years and years ago, um, that that was the situation. There was a, a, a kind of a cubicle with a bed in it. And when you went to sleep, you hoped you wouldn't find somebody in it already. That kind of uh, situation. That's still the case. Well, I can't, I mean, Pat, here's the thing, and I, and I have, as you know, I have a, one particular solution that I'd like to recommend, but I, I can't tell you how often that is. But I mean, there was a, there was a case posted of a dirty, uh, a dirty unmade bed that hadn't been changed for, for days or weeks, apparently, by, by a doctor in training in a, in a residence, in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a teaching hospital in this country just last week. So I, I can't tell you how extensive it is, but it seems to be continuing to go on. And the reality, of course, is that we, we don't have so many doctors' residences anymore, which we should, or nurses' residences, which we should. Um, so, you know, it's not as common a problem as it yeah. was. Now, what, what about the contention that water can be dirty? In, in what situation? Water can be dirty. Mm. Um, I, I, I don't know about that. I mean, are you talking about drinking water? I don't know. I mean, it's no, just no, no, I, the I, list I, I don't. Of... Know, I don't. I don't know about that. I mean, I mean, there may not be fresh drinking water in in, in departments. That that may be in that list. Mm. Uh, now, what sure what about the solution that you recommend? Because we do have a newly appointed HSE boss, uh, if succeeding Paul Reid. If there's to be a kind of a czar over all of these things, uh, is it not the boss of the HSE who should be that czar, or do we need a mini-czar? No. Uh, you remember that about 10 years ago, uh, Professor Tom Keane, an, an eminent Irish oncologist, was brought back, invited back from Canada to try and seize uh, cancer care by the stuff of the neck in this country and to streamline it and reorganise it. 
And he did so in the face of huge uh, opposition and vested interests and political uh, backpedaling. Uh, and the fact that there was a single identifiable owner of the problem of, of cancer reorganization uh, was, I think, the key issue. There was an identifiable leader and a very charismatic leader at that. And I gather from, from people who were around him that, that his main MO was that he just ignored most of the politicians and got on with the job. And as a result of that, as far as I'm aware, the metrics for cancer care in this country have improved dramatically as a result of the streamlining. And I'd like to see the same for staff. You know, we have miserable, brutalized staff uh, who cannot provide the sort of care that we, we, we all aspire to. And I think we should have a, a staff care czar, someone who is ideally an experienced, mature clinician who has been involved in interviewing and recruiting and training staff for, for, for at, at least a decade or two, who takes charge nationally uh, and who coordinates a network of people, individuals in every hospital who uh, are responsible for the day-to-day minding of our, of our healthcare professionals, starting with the young doctors, but then moving on right across the, the, the spectrum of all the healthcare professionals, who make sure that they get paid, who make sure that there, are, there is food and drink and, 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 and warmth at night, there are clean beds, and, and, that, they, and, and, and that they're not o- o- being over, overworked and, and under-trained. Because, of course, uh, a, a lack of quality education is yeah. another issue in our over busy hospitals yeah but obviously this person would need to have systems that uh, were universally applicable across the hse and not differing yeah. from hospital to hospital to hospital no absolutely and that's exactly the tom keen oncology change you had a national vision and you had one person leading the the, 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 the change and and, and, the, and the reform and you know we really the most urgent thing that we need is reform of the way our healthcare professionals are trained. We've been wringing our hands about this for 40 years, Pat, and longer. You know, I mean, there was industrial action by our young doctors in the late 60s, early 70s. So this is not new. Uh, but what is unacceptable is that the endless reports and hand-wringing and press releases and promises and pledges and platitudes. We need to have some experienced, uh, I think, clinicians take charge of this. And in each hospital, a sort of uh, matronor. There used to be housekeepers, Pat, in, in, in hospitals in the olden days who minded the, the, the young doctors. And often they did it wonderfully. I mean, I particularly remember the, 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 the housekeeping in Lucklandstown and Wexford and places like that. So, you know, it's not beyond the... the and it's, the not, it's not rocket science, that's, it's uh, not, that's it for sure. It doesn't involve huge amounts of money. You're employing one particular uh, person to lead uh, on the ground, to, to lead a national uh, re- reform of, of, of the change of, of healthcare professional conditions and in each hospital identifying someone who is capable of caring. I wonder sometimes if the people at the very top understand what actual care involves, care of patients and care of staff. All right. Chris, thank you very much uh, for joining us. That's Dr. Chris Luke, columnist in the Irish Medical Times, author, former consultant in emergency medicine. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.